Hey, pioneers, it's Mr. Schaefer. We are taking a bit of a break as we focus on our Skills USA competitions, which are coming up here in just a few weeks. So, this week's episode is a very special Piocast hiatus episode. It's going to be kind of a potpourri of all kinds of different topics. We have taken some of our favorite segments from our own audio production class. So you're going to hear some familiar voices, but also from some students that are just starting out on the airwaves. So first, let's hear from Henry Shutt about his childhood love for video games. Welcome to the Piocast. I'm your host, Henry. Today, we're talking about video games. When I was eight-ish, my dad let me use his PS3 for the first time. Before that, I played games on the Wii, but this was something new. I had access to all sorts of games. Some of the most memorable are Far Cry, Watch Dogs, and Assassin's Creed. Far Cry is a series about joining up with the rebellion, causing chaos, and fighting against an oppressive regime, usually a dictator. It has explosives, driving, guns, stealth. The fourth game that I remember the best had wingsuits and helicopters that you could shoot a grenade launcher out of while you chase down a convoy. Oh, and war elephants. (laughs) It puts you in a world and lets you decide how you want to proceed with certain objectives. You can take down the aforementioned convoy with explosives, or you could drive up alongside it, hop out of your car into one of theirs, shoot them, and then hop into the next one. Watch Dogs is a game about hacking and fighting through the deafening Chicago city and trying to take down the mob that wronged you, and Assassin's Creed is stealth sword combat, and Black Flag, my favorite of the Assassin's Creed series, has naval combat with an upgradable boat named the Jackdaw. These games were a big part of my childhood because they're the stories that I grew up playing. For some people, it's Mario or Sonic, but for me, it's these. And I came to learn that these games all have something in common. They're published and developed by the same company. Ubisoft. Ubisoft made great games. Recently though, like many other companies, they've been overwhelmed with the sense of needing to get out yearly content and to make as much money from their games as they possibly can. They have done this through setting aside the core gameplay and storyline and putting in microtransactions and DLC content wherever they can. This has happened with Bethesda, EA, Take-Two, and Activision. This isn't new, though. Games like Watch Dogs and Assassin's Creed Black Flag did have microtransactions, but they were for items that were unnecessary in the first place. They didn't give you something that was the best in the game, they just gave you something different. Now, though, if you want the best item in the game, you have to give them more money than you've already given in the first place. This idea of having to pay more money to get something better than you already have or the best in the game shows that they don't care about the gameplay or the story, but they care about taking money from you to give you what should have already been there in the first place. What has been there in the first place before? 
these AAA companies are no longer making games because they enjoy to. They make games out of the promise that their fan base will give them money. There is, however, a very easy way for these companies to produce something masterful once again. They need to make games because they want to. It's not clear to me that Ubisoft wants to make games. It's clear that they want to make money. And they do that through their games. The same goes for Activision, EA, Bethesda, Take-Two. They need to care about what they're making. And as far as I can tell, they don't. When something is made and it is cared for and has passion put into it, people can tell. These games are just husks. They lack the soul that went to the predecessors. I think that things will get better. There are some new deals that have been made with Disney allowing others to make Star Wars games. Uh, Bethesda, well, ZeniMax, the parent company of Bethesda, has recently been bought by Microsoft. And more indie developers are able to get their games into the spotlight due to these big dogs uh, failing where they used to succeed. I have hope that the video game industry will be changing soon for the better. With these new deals and purchases and climate, things will change soon. Thank you for listening. Once again, I'm Henry Shutt. This has been the Piocast, and I hope to see you again next time. It may be disappointing that the quality of some game companies' products have dwindled in recent years, but Henry's love for the subject matter will never completely burn out. Next, we're going to go on to something I am personally pretty excited about, something that uh, was near and dear to my heart many, many years ago and came back and now is something that the, the high school students are getting back into and I think is just so, so cool. Um, BattleBots. Just hearing the intro. I love BattleBots. And for someone who generally doesn't like watching sports, that is not something I thought I would say. For those uneducated, Wikipedia describes BattleBots as an American robot combat television series. Competitors design and operate remote-controlled armed and armored machines designed to fight in an arena combat elimination tournament. Each episode has five to eight battles, depending on the season. Then, once the two bots enter the BattleBot arena, they have three minutes to use their own techniques to knock the other out of commission. Or, if the time runs out, the judges score which bot was the fiercest competitor. Which, admittedly, makes it sound a little cooler than it actually is. Don't think the 2011 film Real Steel, you know, the ten-foot-tall humanoid boxing bots, Think more Maelstroid from Star Wars, but if they could flip a refrigerator 10 feet in the air. What a hit from Broco! That was like filet mignon getting flipped in the air! BattleBots has had many incarnations. It started as Robot Wars in 1987 and was put on at various science fiction conventions. The first American version of BattleBots aired on Comedy Central, of all places, getting five seasons before they got tired of the show and canceled it. 
That's when ABC came in and got the new show started in 2015. This series reached a much larger success than any of the earlier adaptations. One reason I think that BattleBots started to gain more success at this time was because they were giving more focus to the personality of the bot makers and the bot themselves. It makes it way more fun to root for a team when they have a compelling story and personalities behind them. For example, you have old timers like the most feared robot of all, Tombstone. It has a ginormous horizontal spinner at the front of the bot, and of course you have Tombstone's long-standing rival, Lockjaw, which is a powerful drum spinner, and drum spinners are kind of as they describe a drum at the front of the robot that has teeth on it that spin at a rapid rate. These are super destructive robots that can break a bot in one hit if the driver has complete control over the robot. You also have high-spirited newcomers like Hypershock and Sawblaze, international challengers like Monsoon from New Zealand or Brazil's Minotaur, or you have my personal favorite team. Don't ruffle its feathers because it's got plenty of luck and you're out of luck. Say what's up to Duck. Duck has a pretty unique design. He is a flipper, but much different than the standard flipper you might find. The goal of a flipper is to flip a battle bot out of the arena or just high enough so when it comes back to the ground it causes mass damage. But Duck takes a unique take on this. He's a really flat robot, quite low to the ground, just a little box, honestly. And he just has a little bill at the front of him that can rotate all the way around him. And this can wedge the robot onto the side of the stage and flip them outside. He's a really great robot and a really great team. And the teams are honestly just as important to the show as the robots are. It's really entertaining to see these super intelligent people get to have their hard work and awesome robots televised. BattleBots is a criminally underrated show that I think needs more recognition. It's a captivating show that I know will have you screaming rooting for your favorite team. I urge all who have not watched it to get a group assembled and watch the third season. I promise you, you won't be able to look away. <laughs> BattleBots may not exactly be your normal sporting event, uh, but nonetheless, it is still a very interesting form of entertainment. I mean, who wouldn't want to watch robots just duke it out in a good old-fashioned deathmatch? Always sounds like a weird dream of sorts. Speaking of dreams, let's next get immersed with Wade Fisher as he invites us into his sleeping mind. It's dark. The dimly lit room feels familiar. Your spidey senses tell you there's someone outside. There's someone outside. outside. You're jolted up from the sound of deep whispers lining up at the front door. (laughs) Greetings, and welcome to Piocast. My name is Wade and I will be immersing you into my brain. 
confused by the thought you don't know where you are. But it soon hits you. This is home. The Avengers use this mansion to securely conceal up-and-coming heroes. This recollection puts you at ease. You slowly start to grow more awake as the wind continuously batters the house. It's eerie. Your spidey senses tell you there's someone outside. There's someone outside. outside. You quickly rise to your feet and peek outside the window. You think to yourself, this is bad. Armed men line the perimeter of the house and no one in the house seems to know. You begin to hear the men communicating among themselves. This moment feels like an eternity. The anticipation for what was coming was all you could think about. Your mind is racing to think of a solution, but you can't. Any chatter from the men quickly comes to a halt. You stop thinking and glance outside. The men are confused, worried. Something is about to happen, and you can feel it. As the men are searching around, they begin to disperse and aim their weapons into the air. They're searching for something. Someone. You hear a low rumble. It gets louder and louder. It's right above the house now, and you can see the light it is emitting. You stop for a moment as it hits the ground. Hope. You know right away who is here, and you are grateful. Tony Stark, you feel alleviated. You now know it's going to be okay. You slowly slide back out of view. All you can do now is listen and be thankful nothing bad happened. The struggle of the men's painful grunts quickly come to rest. You hear the downstairs door break open. All the anxiety comes back. Until you hear a familiar voice. Wake up, Daddy Shum. You find comfort within this, as the threat is gone and you are ecstatic to see Tony. You quickly get onto your feet and swiftly make your way to the door. Everyone in the house is also exiting their rooms to look out in the hall. You are still drowsy. It's dark in the big hall. The rooms line the walls, while the stairs sit directly in the middle. This bothers you as you never really thought it was a good design. You can tell everyone is confused to see Tony here. Tony appears at the top of the stairs, and you attempt to say something to him, but... You can't. You're struggling. It's like the fear has hit you again, enabling you frozen. You begin to see Tony give all the others jetpacks to escape with him, but not even a word to you. Not even a glance. You are so confused and hurt. They begin to walk back down the stairs as you watch. You force one final attempt to try and get their attention. It is all you can do. You hear the front door open and watch as they all blast away, without even a glance in your direction. Your eyes open. You feel awake. You feel the warmth of the sun as it caresses your face. You aren't Spider-Man anymore. You're just 
you. You struggle to realize what happened and come to the conclusion that you just wrote the plot to the next Spider-Man movie without even trying. While Wade's mind can't exactly alter reality, it sure can create some crazy experiences for him while he's asleep. However, someone whose mind can alter reality, Wanda Maximoff, the main character of Disney Plus's most recent hit show, WandaVision. Now let's hear from Sabin Schulfer with his spoiler-free review of the series as a whole. WandaVision is a Disney Plus original limited series taking place in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that focuses on some of Marvel's most beloved characters, appropriately named Wanda and Vision. The Marvel Cinematic Universe, or MCU for anyone that doesn't know, is the big collection of superhero movies made by the company Marvel Studios. It's a huge franchise with a whopping 23 movies in it now that tells a connected story across them all. WandaVision is the newest installment to the franchise as its 24th project, but it's very different from anything we've seen in the MCU beforehand. For starters, well, it's not a movie. It being a show doesn't cause it to not be in the MCU though. Going forward, the MCU is going to have many projects that are actually Disney Plus original series connected to it. The president of Marvel Studios, Kevin Feige, has said that these shows will be able to be thought of just as highly, if not higher, because of their overall runtimes, than their movie counterparts of the franchise, since they're essentially just the storytelling of a movie split into six to ten episodes each. WandaVision is also very unique and nothing like the MCU has seen before because of its story, but more on that later. First, I feel like you should hear a little bit about these characters before we dive into the story all about them. Warning, spoilers for the stories of the MCU coming up here. Watch it if you haven't yet. Come on. There's three things that I think should be made apparent about Wanda and Vision. One, they're not the average couple, with one of them being a witch and the other not even being a human as a synthesoid. Yet they still have an amazing love story. They are the loves of each other's lives and would do anything to stay together. Two, They've experienced a lot of loss and trauma both together and as individual characters, especially Wanda. And three, they weren't exactly in the best place when their stories left off in the MCU. Well, for starters, Vision died. Twice. One of those times being from Wanda herself, actually. And Wanda has lost her entire family and died herself just to come back to life without any of them still, including Vision. And that's where WandaVision comes in. When the trailers of WandaVision started rolling out, not only did we see Wanda and Vision together again, but they were actually married now. As exciting as this was for the fans, it raised a lot of questions for obvious reasons. I mean, wasn't Vision dead? And the trailers seemed to give no acknowledgement of that confusion either. And instead just dove straight into the love story between the two. Oh, and by the way, most of what I'll be talking about the show here will be from the trailers, or simply just stuff I think you should know before you watch it. I'll avoid heavy spoilers for you as much as I can. But the confusion of what was happening in WandaVision didn't stop there. No, no. Vision being back to life was somehow one of the least weird things that the show seemed like it was going to have. On top of seeing Wanda and Vision together again, married, 
and uh, alive, we also learn that they've moved in together to a small suburban neighborhood in the 50s. The first time we see Wanda and Vision again, it's in a 50s-style classic family sitcom, something reminiscent of The Dick Van Dyke Show. The show doesn't just make some simple nods to that era either. It actually embodies being within it so much that it's to the point where it can make you think that some of its episodes were actually made all the way back then. Everything from the costume designs, the set designs, the scripts, the acting, the camera work, and the effects fully match the decade the episodes are trying to represent. And that's right, it's multiple decades, not just the 50s. The sitcom tropes and overall feel of the show advance and transition through later and later decades, eventually leading up to our own, as the episodes progress. This is why I was mentioning so much before that it's not the average MCU project. Not by any means. Most people would expect a big action budget for something being added to the MCU, and a story that had more to do with, well, doing superhero stuff. WandaVision set to change that standard, however, and instead focused on a real, emotional story between these two characters that, despite how weird the relationship might be, are so in love with each other that they would do anything to stay together. As the show kept releasing more episodes, it continued to raise what seemed to be more questions than answers. Why and how is Vision alive? Why and how are they living in decade-themed sitcoms? Is what we see happening even real? Who's behind this all? And many, many more. And then, it was over. WandaVision's amazing finale came out last week, and along with it came all the answers to the questions us fans had. And boy was it amazing. All of the intricate and complicated separate storylines of the show all came together to form a nicely little connected and complicated jigsaw puzzle by the end. There was much more to the show than just the sitcom story between Wanda and Vision, although that was the main part, and all of them were just as entertaining as the others. I'll save talking about those in details for you, I don't want to spoil it. But overall, the show ends in a very emotionally driven way for our main characters. There's a lot of fulfilling growth for both Wanda and Vision by the end. Neither leave the show the same way they entered it, and it'll be exciting to see where their changes bring them in the future of the MCU. The show's end gave us all the answers we were looking for, and then some. Now that the show's over, we can view the whole series as a completed project. Essentially what it can be seen as now is an MCU movie split apart into an episodic format. Its story feels just as grand as anything else we've seen in the MCU before, and it does not fall flat in quality either just because of it being a show. Besides the obvious sitcom tropes, it doesn't feel like a step down from anything we've seen in the MCU before, and if anything, almost a step up overall. Although the show didn't live up to some crazy fan theories that were speculated, I personally think the ending we got was better than some of the fans were asking for. WandaVision ended exactly how it needed to, and focused on what was most important about it, the love between Wanda and Vision. I personally believe it's one of the best installments of the MCU now, and if not that, certainly one of the most unique. It sets the bar high for what's next to come for the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. While Saban is watching villains play mind games with an entire town, Kira Clouser is instead playing mind games with her family. Kira is talking about the game that is notorious for ruining families and friendships. That's right, folks. 
We are talking about the one and the only Monopoly. Hello and welcome to PioCast. My name's Kira, and today we're going to talk about the godly game of Monopoly. If for some reason you happen to live under a rock, Monopoly is a game where you buy property by going around the board, you make people pay rent, and eventually you make them go bankrupt. It's all fun and games until you play with someone who's competitive. Then you start to question, can you handle the multi-hour game? Before we talk about how Monopoly itself changes people, we have to start with the scandal between Lizzie McGee and Charles Darrow. It began when McGee created the game, the Landlord's Game. Besides having Mr. Monopoly Man as the mascot and the literal name Monopoly, the game was exactly the same. Daro, that little man that he is, took the game and the rules and other minor details and just changed the name. What's funny was that he wanted to be a millionaire to impress his wife, so he took someone else's game and then sold it for a million dollars to the Parker Bros. Eventually in the 70s, a man named Ralph Onspock noticed this, took it to the U.S. Supreme Court, and then made his own version called Anti-Monopoly. By this time, McGee was long gone, so she didn't get money, but she did get the recognition for her work. There's a lot of rules out there that we Americans need to follow. For example, no jaywalking. But you still see people crossing them streets, and I am one of those people. This is like Monopoly. Some families have their own rules. But at the end of the day, if you actually read the rule book, whoa, reading, you could have saved three hours. But then at the dinner table, we got our Aunt Janet's who think every time you land on free parking, there's $500 plus all the taxes. Janet, that's an extra hour we all just added. Oh, and our Uncle Keith's. But assume, while you're in jail, you earn money? That doesn't even make sense. So while I'm in prison for murdering Barney, I still get the rent money my roommate owes me? Come on, Keith. You gotta think about these things. Rules don't make it so it's a boring game. It's quite the opposite. It makes the game go quicker, 
and more fun. I myself know that I'm incredibly competitive. The fun part is when I play with someone who doesn't know this information, I get to crush their initial thought of how calm I am. My family and my friends used to play the game, but then I started ripping them off with cheap promises and shady deals. Not only do I rip people off, I have the occasional accidental insult. I do mean accidental. Once I realize what I said, I immediately apologize. Not sure if that helps at all. What I'm trying to say here is that you can't always change someone. However, you can change how you play the game. But if you start noticing that your little sibling, cousin, whoever is cheating, I give you permission to trick them out of every single property they own with a cheap and useless deal. Alrighty, hope everyone enjoyed. Have a good day. Woohoo! Thank you all so much for listening to this special hiatus episode of the Pyrocast. We appreciate it so much. And thank you so much to our audio production class for producing such wonderful segments. I am sure we will hear from them again in the future, probably soon. We hope you enjoyed this special episode and we will return to our usual programming here in just a couple weeks. Uh, we will see you then. Pyrocast is a pioneer digital media production. Our program director is Katie Fisher. This week's segments were produced by Sabin Schulfer, Katie Fisher, Henry Shutt, Wade Fisher, and Kira Clauser. This episode was edited by Spencer Jones and hosted by me, Mr. Schaefer. <laughs>